Well, today, like every Sunday, we're going to do what we always do and just open up God's Word. So if you have a Bible, grab that. Meet me over in Luke chapter 5. Now, if you're not new around here, you might be thinking, don't you always teach on Jeremiah 29 on our anniversary? And yes, I do. Um, but you know, we're going to change it up. Luke 5 has been a passage of scripture that God has just been working on me all summer on. So I figured I'd share some of my reflections and thoughts from what God has been given to me. There's a Yale physicist who he created one of the coolest experiments ever that he proved statistically that there are still miracles that happen every single day. What he did was he took together and he analyzed what it takes for a human to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. He said it estimates that it takes 0.4, four-tenths of a second, for a 90-mile-an-hour fastball to get from the hand of the pitcher to the bat of the batter. And the only problem is it takes five-tenths of a second for the batter to evaluate if he's going to hit that pitch or not. It takes two-tenths of a second for a batter to locate if that pitch is hittable and over the plate. And then it takes another two-tenths of a second for the batter's brain to tell him to swing. If you do math, which I do not, it is statistically impossible, he said, for a 90-mile-an-hour fastball to ever be hit. And yet, Ronald Acuna regularly hits them out of the park that are 10-mile-an-hour faster than that. This guy concluded that you would have just as good of a chance of hitting a 90-mile-an-hour fastball by closing your eyes and swinging as hard as you can as you would by trying to hit it. He says this, based on mechanics, physics, and psychology of the human body, it is statistically impossible to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Y'all, do you know what a miracle is? A miracle is when the unexplainable hits the undeniable. You see, the reality is, is you can say all day long that it's, that it's statistically impossible to hit a fastball, and yet we see it happen all the time. It's, it's a miracle. It's a statistical miracle. Miracles happen all the time. At some point, at some point in the Christian life, you're going to have to wrestle with the fact that some PhD somewhere at some Ivy League school has told you that Jesus is not possible, and yet the miracle is that you cannot deny him. At some point, you're going to have to wrestle with the fact that there might be more to this life than what you can see on the surface. Like C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford professor, said, if I find in myself a longing that nothing in this world can satisfy, well, maybe the best explanation is that I was made for another world. What if? Here's my question. Here's what God's been working on me all summer with. What if you're made for something more and that life's deepest questions go deeper than what you hear all the time? At some point, what if the simplest explanation, the, the technical term for this is Occam's razor. Occam's razor says the simplest explanation is normally the right one. What if the simplest explanation for your life really is that you cannot deny that there's more to life than what you experience right now, that Jesus really is who he said that he is? See, honestly, I don't know what you carry into this room today. I don't know if you carry in joy or sorrow. I don't know what your week look like. I don't know what you think. But what I do know is most of us feel like we don't belong. And we want to know, does my life matter? That's the deeper questions. Does my life matter? Y'all, this morning, I want to show you a story from the book of Luke that shows you that everything in your life is on purpose, that none of it's on accident that you were made to receive a miracle and that God is doing a great work. Maybe the greatest miracle of all is that God wants you to experience the joy that is found and offered in Jesus. So this story is in Luke chapter five and it starts in verse 17. Look at, look at what it says. On one of those days, 
Take note of that on one of those days. Have you ever just had one of those days? Right? I, I think that the writer of Luke is sitting here trying to, trying to write down what's happening, and he doesn't have an explanation. He's like, man, it was just one of those days. On one of those days, as he, he being Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was on him to heal. Let let me fill in some of the gaps for you. Jesus is in the northern province of Galilee, which is pretty far away from Jerusalem. It actually would take about a three-day journey to get from Galilee to Jerusalem, except for the fact that you had to go through this mountainous area called Samaria. And because of the racial prejudice of that time, the Pharisees wouldn't go through there. So they would take a five-day, they'd take a five to seven-day journey, go around where, um, into what is modern-day Jordan, and they would walk around that area into Jerusalem simply so that they wouldn't have to meet with those people. Y'all, what that tells you is that Jesus had had such a following at that time that people were coming from all over to see him, except what you're going to see is they're not interested in him. They're interested in questioning him. By the way, what's fascinating here is, I'm going to show you this in a second, is that Jesus is just coming off of calling the first disciples into ministry. And what he does is he uses the same exact language when he calls them into ministry as he does with the last thing that he said in the Great Commission. Do you remember the Great Commission? Jesus says it like this in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You should just pause there for a second. Then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Same exact thing. He tells them, hey, if you will follow me, you'll be fishers of men. So he tells Peter. And then, just like that, he does it. Now, why, why is that important? Listen to me. This is such an important point. Jesus never tells people to pray a prayer and go to heaven. He always tells them to follow him and make disciples. That is the commission of the church. That is what God has called you to do. Well, when Jesus starts talking like this, and he starts making waves, people are getting healed. Extraordinary things are happening, and crowds are starting to form to come hear him talk. But listen, this is an important distinction. Religious people always want to be around Jesus to get more knowledge. But Jesus followers want to be around Jesus to make a difference. That's what the church is about. It's not about getting smarter. It's about making a difference. It's about seeing people's lives change. So these religious leaders, they come from all over. They come from Jerusalem. They come from all these towns around Galilee, and they're there to see what's happening. So, so all, this, all this is happening, and, and Luke says, hey, it's just one of those days that Jesus showed up, and the power of the Lord was on him to heal. That word power, that word power is the word that we get the word dynamite from. And, and matter of fact, scholars will tell you it's more like a supernatural power because if you think about dynamite, you, you can really do two things with dynamite. You can throw a stick of dynamite up in the air and that dynamite, it might explode and people from all over Milton and Alpharetta would see it and yet it would dissipate within 30 seconds. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about dynamite like you're going to dig into the ground and you're going to let it explode and it is going to build, or it's going to blow a hole out of the earth that you might not be able to see from miles away and yet the impact is going to be so great that nothing will ever be the same again. 
Y'all, what Jesus wants you to see is that he's about to blow a crater into the side of somebody's life that's going to change them forever. And that's what he wants to do in your life too. Listen, that's what the power of Jesus to heal does. It doesn't make a big splash that dissipates within 30 seconds. No, it changes your life from the inside out. It goes deeper than what anything on the surface can do. You get that. When you come face to face with Jesus, the miraculous healing of power, you will never be the same again. That's the big idea that he wants you to see. It's not like a splash in the pan. It's like a Mack truck that you get hit by. Verse 18, look at what it says. And behold, some men, which I find fascinating, some of the greatest heroes in the entire world go nameless. Because the point of the story is Jesus. Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and to lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Here's the deal. I don't, I don't really know what you're going through, but what I do know is that there will always be obstacles between you and a miracle. Always. It's not that simple. This man was paralyzed. And back in those days, to be paralyzed meant that you were a ghost. Like nobody paid attention to you. Nobody cared about you. There were not wheelchairs. You laid on a mat all day long and did nothing. The very first time that I'd ever experienced this is I was in Bhopal, India. Okay, that's north central India. And if you know anything about Bhopal, if you're old enough, in the 1980s, there was a company called Union Carbide who went to India and there was a gas leak kind of like Chernobyl. Well, they didn't, they didn't clean it up, and it impacted an entire generation by killing them and deforming their kids. Y'all, you walk through the city center of Bhopal, India, and there are literally people everywhere that are deformed, and they're begging for money, and it's like you're a ghost as people just walk right over you. It's the most sad thing you'll ever see in your entire life, and that's how this paralyzed person must have felt sitting there as people are rushing past him to get to Jesus. Think about that. On their way to church, they're missing the entire point. If I'm honest with you, that's how a lot of us feel. We feel unseen, right? We feel like we're walking around in this world and everything seems to be going by warp speed. Everybody's lives are great. They're going on vacation after vacation. It just seems like your family's put together because I'm looking at your highlight reel on Instagram and everything looks perfect. But inside, you're paralyzed. You're paralyzed by your doubts. You're paralyzed by your fears. You don't know why you're so anxious and why you're not happy, but you feel like nobody recognizes your pain. You feel like the entire world is going right but you. Let me just tell you, that is a lie. It's a lie. You know, sometimes people will tell me, man, I felt like you were speaking right to me today. You know why? Because we have a common experience. We're all dealing with the same stuff. And the quicker we can realize that, the quicker we would be vulnerable and real with one another, the quicker we get to our healing. Y'all, you aren't the only one dealing with what you're dealing with. And if you would be, if you would just be vulnerable enough to share your experience with the person next to you, what you would find really quickly is they're dealing with the same thing. Y'all, what I don't want you to miss is the fact that, that at the exact same moment, watch this, at the exact same moment, that these men decide to get this paralyzed man as at the exact same moment that it seems as if the power of the Lord 
on Jesus to heal was happening. Why is that important? Because I'm just telling you, that's how Jesus rolls. It's not an accident. Those moments that just seem serendipitous where you're like, I don't know what happened, but it just seems like, God, you came through in the, tw- the, uh, in the ninth hour. I, they don't just happen. God has the whole thing rigged, y'all. Like the whole thing is on purpose. He shows up at the right time. You gotta stop believing the lie and you gotta start leaning into the truth that the power to heal is ready to be unleashed by Jesus. God is sovereign over it all. But here's the deal. It's not easy. It's never easy. Even when you lean in, there always seems to be a crowd. There always seems to be all this stuff between you and Jesus. Listen, church, our greatest danger in the entire world, I've said this before, the greatest danger to the church is not out there. It's in here. Our greatest danger in the entire world is that we will buy the lie that what we need to do is get to church to learn more knowledge about Jesus instead of being the church that does something to help people get to Jesus. Because it's in the doing that we actually experience the unleashing of his power. When all we care about is filling our heads with information, church, we become we become the type of people that, that this place becomes a place that we attend and not a community we belong to. That's what happened to these Pharisees. I've said this before. I think the Pharisees get a bad rap. Honestly, I think that when they first began, they, they had good intentions. They were trying to wrap these external laws around God's law because they didn't want to get anywhere close to breaking it. And yet the indictment that Jesus has is, you have abandoned the word of God for the traditions of man. And at some point, even in our good intentions, we will say, I got to get to the event. I got to get to the event. And then we'll miss the thing going on right next to us. I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Just the other day, maybe I think it was two days ago, the Milton Fire Department gives me a call. Now, here's one of the things I love about City Church. The, the, the chief calls and he says, hey, you know what? We have a situation that we don't know what to do with. And everybody tells me that when we don't know what to do, call City Church, they'll help. Y'all, that's awesome. That's the reputation that you have. So he starts telling me about a homeless lady and their child that they need respite care for and there's no homeless shelters around here. And he's like, it's a Friday and we can't get them into intake on Monday and we just need help finding somebody who will take them. I started thinking about it for a moment. I was like, what do you, what do you need? A hotel for two days? Man, just send me the bill. We'll pay for it. And he was like, really? Like, that's what the church is for. Don't miss the point walking to church that you actually miss being the church. They were blown away. And I'm like, it's not going to break our budget that we spent 350 bucks to give somebody a house for two days. You know, that's what you have to remember. Sometimes you got to be interruptible enough to sense the fact that God might be calling you to be a part of somebody else's life. Do you have the margin to do that? See, do you want to be the type of people who stop for the paralyzed man, or do you want to be the type of people who ignore the hurting to get more information? Let me, let me just say this really quickly. Picking up that paralyzed man would not have been easy. It actually been super hard. Have you ever picked up a kid in the middle of the night who's asleep? They're like a bag of bricks, right? I mean, like when my nine-year-old falls asleep in my bed, I swear she's 385 pounds. You know, imagine picking up a paralyzed man, how incredibly difficult this would have been. And yet they pick this guy up and they walk him up on a roof. Why is that important? Because helping people get to Jesus is hard work. It's not easy. 
Because there are crowds that you're going to have to push through. You're going to have to pick people up when they can't pick themselves up. And that's not easy. That takes long-term commitment to people around you to get them to Jesus. It's not quick, easy fixes in people's lives. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, sometimes it takes you bringing people to Jesus that can't bring themselves to see the miracle of God unleashed in the world. You know? Sometimes, sometimes you just need a friend who can be there for you when you're depleted, right? That makes that phone call when you don't want it, and yet you know you need it. Like, when you can't believe in yourself, you need somebody who can speak life back into you. Y'all, you don't know how powerful a simple word is to somebody who is hurting. I'm telling you, the, the, the thing that stands between someone's healing and their change and their paralysis is oftentimes a friend that's just willing to put their arm around them and walk through the battle with them. Here's the last thing I want you to see from this observation here. It is messy. Life is messy. That highlight reel you see on Instagram is fake, okay? I'll tell you, like, I, we have the most beautiful family pictures ever. I wish you could see the 30 minutes of fighting that happens before that, before we're like, you get, cheese. you put it on Instagram. And everybody's like, oh, your family's so great. I'm like, you didn't see the real family. Life's messy. Think about, think about how mad these dudes would have been. People travel for seven days to get to go hear Jesus, and now you've got a guy who's knocking out the roof and interrupting your day. Imagine being the owner of the house as, as the drywall or whatever they had, the hay was falling on top of you. Y'all, when they ripped off the roof of this house, I'm telling you, people were going to be mad. They, they, it was disrupting the status quo. And people looked at the people that they were walking with and the paralyzed man, they weren't the type of people that had anything to offer. It wasn't like he was going to put money in the plate that day or give some wise thing. No, this guy was dying, and they picked him up, and they did the unthinkable. You have to understand that sometimes experiencing the miracle of Jesus is messy. My question for you five years into this thing is, are you willing to be that kind of church? Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I want my life to look like. I don't want to be found in the crowd one day when Jesus comes back. And he's like, what'd you do with whatever I gave you to steward? No, I want to be found as the guy that's like, I spent everything. I tore the roof off so that you could get to Jesus because what you needed more than anything was getting to Jesus. And honestly, honestly, I know that people are going to get mad about that. I know people are going to be like, we could grow a lot faster. or We could do this or we can make room for it. I don't want to sit in the middle, right? I don't really care what people think about me. I care what Jesus thinks about me. If I cared what people thought about me, we'd have stayed at the awesome mega church in North Carolina. What I cared about is seeing life change, and I want to spend my life doing that. I care about City Church. I care about you. Tearing the roof off of this place. Tearing the roof off of culture in our city so that our kids have a better city to grow up in. I care about forming the schools and, and, and the places that we live. Y'all, that's what we've been about the last five years, and it has been incredibly difficult. I wish somebody had told me that there was going to be a global pandemic. I probably wouldn't have come. <laughs> but what we have seen is we've seen God do some incredible things. Where we've tried to balance this idea of, of really caring about gospel community and caring about our neighbors. You know, we haven't tried to be super attractive. We, we, haven't, we haven't gone all in on the things that grow churches like politics. 
It doesn't really matter about any of those things. All we've tried to do is make Jesus accessible. And I get asked all the time, what do you have? Like, what's the next five years going to be like? Same as the last. Try to make Jesus accessible. Because what we believe is that life change happens when disciples are made, and that happens in the context of relationships where we're sacrificially serving one another. Y'all, people are hurting. They're hurting, and oftentimes, oftentimes you are the paralyzed one. And and don't buy the lie again that it looks perfect on the outside. (laughs) This place is like Pleasantville. I think I've been here long enough to be able to say that. Everything looks great on the outside, and it's all broken on the inside. Don't believe me? Let me tell you some stories because I'm a chaplain for the fire department and the police department and I get called out to the scenes a lot. People are hurting. The primary way that people get to Jesus is they get to him together. That's what we're about. There will always be crowds, there will always be obstacles and yet there's also a community to do it with you. And if you will lean in, here's what I know is through community, the power of God is on Jesus to heal. Verse 20. And when he, that's Jesus, saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. You notice whose faith he saw? Their faith. Who is there? Who is their faith? It wasn't the paralyzed man. It was the guys who brought the paralyzed man to Jesus. Have you ever thought about what your faith plays in the role of somebody else's salvation? You ever think about that? Have you ever thought about how your role in somebody's life can actually shape their faith journey? Y'all, what Jesus is telling you that he is ready to unleash his power to heal on your neighbors. But he's waiting on you to go do it. See that? You might be the missing piece in the puzzle. Seriously. Let me just tell you, like maybe your role on on the travel baseball team isn't to be a baseball coach. What if your role in the travel baseball team is to be a spiritual leader? Like, God didn't call you to be a Little League baseball coach. He called you to be a disciple maker. And he has given you a platform to do it. It's incredible. You see, he wants you to intersect your life with the places and the spaces that he has already put you and do it with gospel intentionality. Y'all, your neighbors aren't your neighbors because of happenstance. They're there because God placed you there. It's not an accident. Don't you see that your role in the kingdom of God is so powerful? You need to start rethinking your life. You're not just a stay-at-home mom. You're shaping the lives of little kids so that they can get to Jesus. So you're not just a sales engineer. You are a conduit of God's grace, and he is waiting to heal the people around you. You're not just a little league coach. You're not just a teacher. God has vocationally put you in a position so that he can unleash his power through you and change the world. What you have to understand is City Church, City Church is a building that facilitates ministry. You are the ministry. And what God wants to do is he wants to use you to multiply his impact all over the world. Not just to bring people into a building, but to train you and equip you to send you back out. And that's how God's kingdom grows. Now watch what Jesus did, because it's what he always does. Jesus healed the deeper need, not the immediate circumstances. You know, if you didn't know this, I I know this is going to blow your mind, but I like Tim Keller a little bit. Um, I named my fourth son Keller. Um, Just the other day, I was listening to a podcast that he recorded two weeks before he died. 
And the, uh, the guy who was speaking to him asked him one of the most profound questions you'll ever ask. He says, why do you think you suffered so much? Oh, I wanted to hear what he said. Do you know what he said? He said, I don't think I was holy enough yet. And the guy was like, what are you talking about? He says, you know, if I was holy enough, God wouldn't have had to give me pancreatic cancer. He'd have just given me a heart attack or an aneurysm and I'd have died. And yet, over the last three years of dealing with this or whatever it was, he's like, I've drawn closer to God and I've become more humbled and holy than I've ever done. And I thank God for it. And he says, what you have to understand is this. If the resurrection is true, then everything's going to be okay. And it's been so sweet walking with Jesus. And I'm ready to go home and see him. Now, I don't know about you, but this isn't easy. But I'm just telling you, God cares way more about what's going on in your heart than he does about fixing your immediate circumstances. And sometimes you need to know this. Listen, that paralyzed man, that paralyzed man had a leg problem, but his leg problem was temporary. What he needed was he needed his healthy heart to go along with his healthy legs. Because the reality is, is God heals his legs. One day that guy's gonna die and he's still gonna be in the same position. Here's what I know. If God gave you everything that you had ever dreamed of and desired and yet you didn't have God, listen to me, you would have nothing. What God cares more about than anything is getting you to him. Because if the resurrection is true, it's all gonna be okay. See, God wanted to give you eternal life. He wants to give you something deeper than physical healing. And that's the point. Eternal security found in Jesus is the bedrock that makes everything else in life possible. I love J.R.R. Tolkien, the writer of Lord of the Rings. He said, one day God's going to make all the sad things become untrue. It's true. And if that's true, what are you worried about? See, sometimes God allows you to go through really difficult circumstances because he loves you. This man needed... He needed to be paralyzed so that he could experience the miracle. Obviously, in that moment, he wouldn't have understood that, but I'm just telling you, some of you need to understand that too. What you need more than anything is to get to Jesus, and if that's true, then the most loving thing that God can do for you sometimes is put you in difficult circumstances that forces you to be dependent on him. Because he loves you, he's not going to leave you alone. Here's what I'd say. Sometimes, metaphorically, he needs to break your legs so that somebody can carry you to Jesus. This man was the neediest man on the planet. He couldn't even get himself to Jesus. See, he literally was nothing. He didn't even have dignity. And yet, this is the man who received everything because that's what Jesus does. Let me just ask you again. Would you rather be like the religious leaders that got some knowledge, or would you rather be like the poor paralytic man that got eternal life? What if you broaden your perspective to see that Jesus really does know what he's doing? Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? There it is. That's actually the right question. That is the right question. You see, they had good theology. They finally got it. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone, but here's what they missed. Jesus is God. So because he is God, he can forgive sins. You see, here's the problem. These religious leaders, they weren't asking that question in, in a right way. They were actually questioning him. 
And at the same time, these religious leaders, they should have been the ones out there directing traffic and watching kids and serving coffee so that the paralyzed man could actually get there and be healed. And yet, they aren't. You see, they still believe their own press. And because they believe their own press, they believe that they were the most important people in the room, so they sat in the front. Now, if this was 2023, they'd have sat in the back, but you know, that's the way this works. When Jesus performed the miracle, listen to me, he was not just doing it for the person that needed to receive the miracle, he was doing it for everybody in the room. And sometimes you need to know that. Whenever you're bringing somebody to Jesus, sometimes the crowds need to see it too. See, when the power of Jesus was on him to heal, he wanted to heal everybody because that's who he is. So watch this, verse 22. When Jesus had perceived their thoughts, I think that's fascinating. I I don't know what to do with that, but that's amazing. When he had perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You know what's sad to me? The Pharisees were willing to settle for the lesser things. See, contrary to their belief, Jesus forgiving sins was actually the more difficult thing. Actually, Jesus forgiving sins cost him his life. It's why he came. It cost him stepping off of his throne in heaven, putting on flesh, literally incarnating himself. John 1 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt means tabernacled. He embodied the temple so that he could live your perfect life and die your death so that he could cosmically bring together what you had broken. And these guys who should have known that because they know the Bible were settling to see a physical miracle. And Jesus says, what are you looking for? What's easier? The answer is, what's easier is to tell him to pick up his bed and go home, and that's exactly what he does because Jesus sometimes knows that you need a sign too. I love this. Jesus tells him to pick up his bed and go home. You know why that's so fascinating to me? Think about that bed for a second. That bed would have represented everything that was wrong with the world. It would have represented the place that he laid for 20, 30 years where people walked over him walked around him. It would have been a reminder of the cruelty that he received every time that he asked for a meal or a dollar or something, that every time he was ignored, it would have been a reminder that he was different. And yet Jesus tells him, hey, take your reminder with you and go home. You know, sometimes, sometimes God makes you keep your scars because those scars are a reminder of your healing. Sometimes, You have to live with your past so that you don't go back there anymore. You see, when you erase history, you repeat history. And sometimes the most loving thing that God can do is remind you that you did go there, but you are not that anymore, right? That's not who you are. That might be who you used to be. You might not be who you want to be, but you're not that anymore. And sometimes you need to be reminded of that. You need to know that those people treated you that way so that you can carry your bed, so that you can receive healing, and so that you can always remember the miracle. I'm telling you, we are so quick to forget. And yet when we forget, we always go back to the same old lies again. So the most loving thing that God does sometimes is makes you remember. Because it's in the remembering that you actually find healing. If you're into books, there's a book by a guy named Mirschloff Volf called The End of Memory. 
And he talks about this idea of the way that you can actually forgive is you have to go back and you have to always remember and you have to remember rightly. Sometimes Jesus doesn't allow you to forget. Now listen to me. You need to understand the deeper things that are going on here. This miracle, this miracle that the dude had received to literally pick up his bed and walk, this miracle wasn't just about his feet. One day, again, those legs are gonna stop working and his physical healing was only temporary. The spiritual healing going on here is the real miracle and everything that is going on is meant by the Dr. Luke to tell you that this is going, that Jesus is the one who can actually heal your soul. If you actually go back, if you go back in your Bible, what you'll see is that this, this miracle happens right after Jesus starts his public ministry. Right, right there, Jesus calls the first disciple, Simon Peter being one of them. He tells him to throw out his net, go fishing. He's going to be a fisher of men. And then what does Peter say? It's significant. He says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. For the very first time, and this is intentional, he experiences the holiness of God. And what he does is it retreats. He retreats because he knows that he cannot be in the presence of something so magnificent. But Jesus looks at him and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then right after that, he takes a leper and he heals this leper's body to show him that what he's ultimately going to do is he's ultimately going to take the things that are destroying you and he is going to destroy them. See, one of the things you have to understand is that a good God actually does hate some things. Hate is not the problem. Listen to me. You should hate the things that are destroying the people you love. Hate's not the problem. Indifference is. And God is not indifferent about your circumstances. So he takes this leper and he heals him. He heals him so he can show you that that cancer that is killing your body, one day, one day he's going to eradicate that disease. That one day, every single thing that is killing this world, he is going to do because he has authority to kill the sins that are killing us. So then you get to this scene where he heals the paralytic and he wants to make it really clear. Who can forgive sins? I can. That's the point. I can. Who can fix your heart and your wounds? I can, Jesus says. See, who can change your circumstances? I can. Who can change your eternity? I can. Let me just ask you, do you have the same conviction that you have the greatest need in the world is getting to Jesus? Do you realize that he wants to heal you? Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you think that the greatest need in the world is education, you are going to fight for better education. If you think the greatest need in the world is clean water, what you're going to do is you're going to create an NGO or you're going to lobby to government organizations to create institutions to solve world hunger. If you think that the greatest need is government reform or social equality or racial justice or climate change or fill in the gaps, you're going to go all in on those things. And the danger is, church, that you are going to give up the best thing for good things and you're going to miss the greatest miracle of all. See, you can fix temporary healing and yet there's a heart problem and Jesus wants to fix that. What we need more than anything else is to experience Jesus. We need to come face to face with the living God and then the greatest miracle of all will take place. Your sins will be forgiven. He will heal you for all of eternity and that means that you will get to be with him and death will be but a shadow. Your physical problems will be swallowed up in victory. I wanna give you really quickly and we're gonna wrap this up, a couple practical takeaways for us as a church. Here's number one, real quick. Getting people to Jesus takes love. At the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Think about these men who brought the paralyzed man to him. They had to have loved him. 
They had to have because they should have. They should have just walked right by that poor dude to get their seat in line to talk to Jesus, except they were filled with compassion. And because they were filled with compassion, they were willing to be interrupted to pick this guy up, to carry him up on a roof, to destroy the house, to get him to Jesus. Do you love people like that? Here's how you know if you do. Are you willing to be inconvenienced? And I mean seriously inconvenienced to help somebody else. Are you willing, are you willing to miss a meal so that somebody else can have one? Are you, are you willing to miss a game or maybe even a holiday? to go and take care of somebody else. I mean, these guys put their reputations on the line to get people to Jesus. Do you love like that? I'm telling you, the power of God to heal is, seems to be predicated on your love for other people. Number two is this. Getting people to Jesus takes sacrifice. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but someone was gonna have to fix that roof. Someone's had to pay for the damages. Lifting that dude up probably took sweat I had back surgery 15 years ago. I'd have probably taken another disc out of my back to lift that guy up. They would have missed the show. I'm, I'm serious. Like they were probably sacrificing their time to, to actually listen to Jesus. But here's what I know. If you want to be a part of building God's kingdom, it's going to take sacrifice. It's not going to take just showing up here. Let's just be honest. It's going to take financial sacrifice because at the end of the day, it takes money to do ministry. It's going to take serving sacrifice. Some of you are going to have to, uh, have to sacrificially serve in areas you're not all that passionate about. I hear it all the time. Man, I'm not really that passionate about serving your kids or production. I, I get that. I'm not either. But here's what I am passionate about. I'm passionate about Jesus. And I'm passionate about doing whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Like, I'm pretty sure that Jesus wasn't super passionate about washing dirty feet. But in his greatest act of humility, he took a, ba- a bowl of water and washed the feet of a guy who was about to get him hung on a cross. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't super amped up about getting on that cross either and being beaten half to death and and hung up there to die. But you were worth it to him. That's the point. He wasn't passionate about a cross. He's passionate about you. Like, do you think about church that way? Do you think about this as a place that you're willing to rip off the roof Get here a little early, show up and sit in the middle, serve so that people can get to Jesus. Are you willing to hold doors and do whatever it takes? Or do you just want to show up and be served? Because here's what I know. Religious people come to be served. Gospel people come to serve. Or I say it this way, kingdom people show up to serve, religious people show up to be served. Because they showed up and they served, People experience the greatest miracle of all. They experience the power of God to heal. If you want to see God do far more abundantly anything that you can ever ask or imagine, it happens through the sacrificial serving of his people. Number three is this. Getting people to Jesus takes community. None of us get there alone. None of us. Matter of fact, if you think about your gospel story, it's probably connected to somebody else. Somebody who invited you. Somebody who told you. I mean, these paralyzed, this paralyzed dude had to get to Jesus and he couldn't do it on his own. So people brought him there. Now, think about why they did that. Well, I think they did that because they must have experienced something in Jesus too, right? Like the only reason why you'd be willing to do that is because you were like, man, I've experienced Jesus. And because I've experienced Jesus, everybody has to experience him. Isn't it true that when you experience Jesus, everything changes? Like you don't, you don't, get to do, you have to do something. I have to do this. I have to get you there. That's the difference. The difference between those who do it and those who don't do it are those who have had an encounter with Jesus that has changed their lives. And that's why we have community. 
Y'all, we need each other. We need each other to tell each other stories. Albert Tate. Albert Tate said it this way. It's only through engaging in hard, challenging community that we can learn to see one another's burdens without becoming them. And then we have the courage to lift these burdens as best we can. Community is a way, is the way to be the change and not be the burden. Don't you believe, or I'm sorry, don't believe the lie that you can do it on your own. Don't believe the lie you can do it on your own. Listen, you need one another. You need community. Not only do you need community, we need community. We need each other. Like Jesus is present in this church because this church is his gathered people. What, what makes a church a church is not a building. It's the group of people gathered together to worship him. If you want to be the church, you got to be in the church. You got to get here, you got to serve, and you got to be together. Now, I need you to hear me say this because this is super important too. Church cannot be an excuse not to be the gospel to your neighborhood either. They go hand in hand. That's why we end every gathering by saying you are sent. This is supposed to be the training ground for you to go be the church throughout the rest of the week, right? Your neighbors need to do cookouts so, so that they're not isolated anymore. They, they, they need you to go watch your kids so that they can do a mom's day out or go hang out at the park together. That's why we do what we do. It's a place that we can be the church, okay, instead of attending the church. It's a community we belong to, not an event we attend. And ultimately, as we do that, as we do that, we get to equip people and we get to encourage people. And then we get to be the church and God builds his church. Here's what I love. Last thing, verse 25. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and they were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Amazement seized them all. The friends who brought the paralyzed man to Jesus experienced a miracle. The paralyzed man experienced a miracle. The religious leaders experienced a miracle. Everyone experienced a miracle. What if, what if we had audacious faith that Jesus really could do what he said that he does? What if we felt like we were the conduit for God's power and his miracle to work through us? See, the reality is all of us are the paralyzed man. And Jesus himself was the one who ripped the roof off of heaven to come down, to bring you to himself. He lived your perfect life. He died your death. He loved you so much that he wanted to give up his life for you. He sacrificed everything so that you wouldn't have to sacrifice as much. And he gave up his heavenly community with the Father and the Spirit so that he could adopt you into his family. You can experience the greatest miracle of all through Jesus because he came down because we do this together. City Church, five years of church planning has been ama amazing. But if I'm honest with you, it's just the beginning. I believe that God wants to do far more abundantly than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And I believe that the only way that's going to be possible is if we have the audacious faith to decide that we are going to do this together that absolutely nothing is going to stand in the way of people getting to Jesus. There's nothing that's gonna keep your neighbors that are hurting or your coworkers that's going through a divorce or your kids that get sick from seeing that the ultimate thing that they need is Jesus. Church, you are the church and God has a mission. I'm telling you, if you will buy into this kind of church, God will use you in extraordinary ways and he will change the world around you.
So what I want to do is I want to give myself to the next five years of equipping our church to experience Jesus, to experience his miracle, and to go unleash you into this world, to go even do more. What about you? What about you? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. What a day it is to celebrate your goodness and your kindness, your mercy and your grace. Everything we have is because of what you have done. So we give you thanks. We're grateful. Grateful for this place called City Church and the people that you have allowed to be a part of what you're doing, to build your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.